eyes to see you and give us ears to hear this morning. We love you and bless your name, O God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Grace Athens. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you need some coffee, I think we still have some in the back. Bathrooms are right back there. If this is your first time with us, glad you're here. Uh, do this. Go ahead and pull out your phone and go to our website, graceathens.org. That's where you're going to find all of our announcements. There's a tab you can click called Bulletin, and it'll take you to everything you need to see. Um, there's also, you good, Caleb? Okay. <laughs> There's also a uh, tab there if you are new and you want to get connected here to the church, fill that out real quick and then we will follow up with you personally and get you connected uh, to all that happens here in our community. Uh, let me also say this, we are having a new volunteer meeting this Sunday right after the service. So if you're here and you're not volunteering and you want to, we'll have a really brief 15 minute or so meeting. It's going to be right back here through those doors in our elementary kids school space right there. In fact, that reminds me, any elementary school kids here, go ahead and stand on up. We're going to meet our volunteer, Mr. Mark, right back here in the back and head to our elementary school ministry. There we go. Awesome. But new volunteer meeting right after this. I'll remind you that at the end of our service, we'll meet right over there. And then also tonight, we have a worship and prayer night to start the new year. And it's going to be at Molly's Coffee at 630 Molly's Coffee at 6.30. Uh, if you have little ones, we're going to have a whole section de uh, devoted to them with crafts and snacks and all that kind of stuff. So bring your little ones as well. Um, any college students, anyone, just come on out 6.30, Molly's Coffee this evening. All right. Uh, let me invite our uh, volunteer team to come on down. We're going to pass our offering baskets around. You can give in that way. You can also give online. Do we have a slide potentially for that? Um, you can just go to our website, graceathens.org, and you can click the button Give. And there's multiple ways to give uh, at that platform. And so I want to encourage you to do that as well. Um, do we also have an uh, updated uh, budget slide? We might not have that this week. Okay, we'll have that next week. Each week, I kind of want to give you an update on where we are um, financially as we're resourcing the ministry here so that we kind of know, because I shared a budget update last week. So we can kind of keep up with, as a community, where are we financially and what needs to happen so that we can continue to reach our goals and continue to do the ministry that we have here. And so we'll have that each week um, on a slide so we can track that together. Okay? Awesome. That's all the announcements I have. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 7. Gospel of Mark, Chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. If you're this morning you don't have a Bible and you want one, just slip up your hand and we will get a Bible to you, I think. Do we have Bibles, Abby? Donde esta? Oh, right here. Rusty, do you mind? You need a Bible? Just slip up your hand. We'll get them to you. Perfect. Mark chapter 7. So today's passage is going to deal with one really big idea. And I'm going to get, go ahead and give you that idea. And then we'll unpack it in the scriptures. The idea is this. Jesus and the abolition of religion. I'm not really into titles, but I gave a title this one. Jesus and the abolition of religion. It's the fact that Jesus did not come to start a new religion called Christianity, but Jesus came to abolish religion altogether. That's what we're going to see this morning. And I would argue, and you'll see this, that if we miss this core fact of Jesus' mission here on earth, then I think we're going to be lost trying to do things in the world in Jesus' name, 
that Jesus really has no part of. Okay? And history will show you how much the church has done this over and over again. From the Crusades to corruption to clericalism to even child abuse, the church has lost its way over and over in its history. And I think in part it's because they missed this core idea that we're going to get into this morning. So let's take a look at it. Chapter 7, verse 1. Let's read this passage through. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He goes on, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Let's stop there. What we have here is Jesus in debate with the Pharisees. Let's remember who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are the leaders of the Jewish religion. They represent the entire religious system that God set up in the Old Testament, okay? So that's who they are. God set up that religious system in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. They represent that. But Jesus here is accusing them of corrupting that very religion. How so? Well, he goes on to explain right there in the passage, verse 9. He goes on, he says, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, wherever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So Jesus is calling out the corruption and abuse. Now here's what we need to understand. Jesus is not just a reformer of a basically good religious system that's in need of repair. If that's what we think he's doing, we're going to miss it. He is the Messiah that's come to fulfill, watch this, and surpass that system of religion. To fulfill and to surpass that system of religion. Remember what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. That's that religious system. He says, I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Jesus fulfills the law in order to surpass the law with something totally different. That's what we need to understand. Which is a pretty profound thing. That God would set up a religion in the Old Testament that was de designed to eventually be left behind in the new. Did it have divine purpose? Yeah, absolutely. It had divine purpose. But here's what we got to understand. 
it always had an expiration date to it. It always had an expiration date to it. And that's when the Messiah come to fulfill it and to surpass it. This is what you see Jesus doing right here in the text. The next four stories are examples of Jesus doing just that, of fulfilling and surpassing. Jesus is deliberately going beyond the purity laws, is what you find in the rest of the chapter. And he, he's, he's reaching out to unbelieving or unclean Gentiles. So look at verses 14 through 23. We've got to get through all this so then we can kind of understand the main message here. What he's doing here is he's going beyond the purity laws. He's talking about what's really clean and unclean. And then you see in the next passage, verses 24 to 30, he goes and he's reaching out to these unbelieving Gentiles, the Syrophoenician woman. He goes into Tyre and Sidon, which would have been a very Gentile, unclean territory. And he's healing people. The very next story, in verses 31 through the end of the chapter, he goes into Tyre, into the Decapolis, which was very much a Gentile region. And he heals a man who was deaf. And then if you skip ahead to chapter 8, he goes into Bethsaida. And, and Bethsaida was a mix of a Jew and Gentile community and heals a man of blindness. He's going beyond the bounds of their religious system to do something greater. And this is where it gets very interesting. Okay? I want you to turn forward in the story to chapter 11. Turn forward to chapter 11. You really get a clear picture of what Jesus is doing. This is when he comes into the temple. The temple was central to the Jewish faith. Central to Jesus' faith as a boy growing up. But as a Messiah, he has a, a bigger vision of what he's supposed to do. Pick up in verse 15, chapter 11. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Let's stop there. It's not accurate to say that Jesus is simply cleansing the temple. Rather, he's ending the temple. It's no longer going to be needed post Jesus' resurrection. And so he's not simply cleansing it, he's ending it. It has an expiration date on it, and it has fulfilled its divine purpose, but it's come to an end. You see this come in very dramatic fashion at Jesus' death. Skip ahead one more time to chapter 16. This is where you really see the ending of the need of the temple. This happens at his death, at his crucifixion. Pick up in verse 33. It says that when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Fast forward to verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So the curtain that separated those who could freely enter into the presence of God and those who couldn't is totally torn and totally abolished. Jesus doesn't come to save religion, but to abolish it. And this is why the proper response to Jesus is not more religion, 
or the construction of a new religion, the proper response to Jesus and who he is and what he's doing is something totally non-religious. It is relationship. It is relationship. God comes, get this, in person to our world to abolish his own religion and start relationship. It's a profound thing. It served its purpose, but it was never the end game. We have to really get this. God voluntarily becomes completely personalized by becoming a human being. That's enough right there. But he does that and he enters into our world to seek out a relationship with you, with every creature that he's made. God is intrinsically relational. And I just think we often underestimate that fact about God. He's intrinsically relational. Let's put it in terms that we can understand. God's entire motive in all his dealings with you and with me and with everyone is to move you into more and more real relationship with him. He wants to get you beyond ritual and into relationship. And so when I settle with that fact of the Gospels, I ask myself this question, why do I keep coming to him with more religion? Why do I keep going through the motions of Christianity and keeping God at arm's length with my ritual when what God is really wanting is deeper relationship? All of us know how to be in relationship. We might have grew up in some dysfunctional relationships, but we all have a certain understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with a person. God's hardwired you for it. This is the very purpose upon which God has made you to be in relationship with him. And so I, I read this truth of the Gospels, and I've just been asking myself this week, and I ask us as a community, when am I going to get more real with God in the relationship? When am I going to stop using religion to hide? And we play these games. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just me. I'm preaching to myself. But I think this can be hard for us. To be really real with God about how we're honestly feeling. Not about you, but I like to keep up face with God for some reason. Which is so dumb. Because God knows everything. We know that, right? God is is all-knowing. He knows exactly all of our weird motives, our contradictory things that live inside of us. He knows all of that. And he still says, I want relationship with you. I am like a father who's calling you to be with me like a daughter or a son. Sometimes I read how the psalmists talk to God in the Psalms, and I just think, wow, that's very real. That's very raw and honest. And I know that deep down sometimes I can be suspicious of God. Is that really all he wants is relationship? And I can at times question that. I can at times wonder 
if there's that level of freedom and safety in the relationship to really be more real with God than anyone else in my life. Have you ever thought of that? That God's inviting me to be more real with Him, more honest, more transparent, more forthright with Him than with any other relationship I have in my life. How would that change your walk with God? If you became that real, that honest, that open, that trusting with your heavenly father. At times I can question it, but the reality is we can be. The answer is yes, that we can be that honest and that real because the word of God tells us that. Think of it this way. In Matthew 22, Jesus gets asked the question by all the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They say, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Sum it all up for us, Jesus. What's it all about? And what does he say? He says in the verse, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Right? He doesn't say to follow God. He doesn't say to worship God. He doesn't say to think rightly about God. He says to love God. I think we underestimate the reality of that statement. I think so often in Western Christianity, and this is important. If you know me, I'm, I'm big on this. But we make it so much about thinking rightly about God. When God himself summarizes what it means to be about following the Lord. And he says, no, it's, it, it's love. Love the Lord your God. I think that's a paradigm shift for us in the West, in today's church, is to love God. Think, think of it this way. The biblical story starts and ends the exact same way. Okay? It starts in relationship in the Genesis Garden. It ends in relationship in the Revelation City. Cover to cover. It starts the same way. God wants to dwell with his people. It ends the same way. God will be dwelling with his people. Let me take you there. You got your Bible. Flip it over to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Starts and ends the same way. You could say it this way. The whole thing God is doing through all the pages of Scripture is trying to restore and reconcile the relationship that got lost in the beginning. Get this imagery. So, chapter 21, verse, verse 1. It reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now watch this one example. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
that He is God from the throne, dwelling with His people, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That imagery is imagery of a loving father with a four-year-old who is hurting and holding them and touching their face and wiping away their tears. I mean, some of you dads, you, you, you've held that four-year-old who's done something and they're hurting, and, or you've held that teenager that's been hurting, or, or, or whoever, whatever stage of life. But holding that child and wiping away their tears. God ends the book saying, that's what I want. I want to end there. I want to end with that kind of relationship, that kind of intimacy. This is what I'm doing to redeem the world, to bring us to this ending place of hyper-connected relationship. I read this imagery and it helps me to say, I can trust God. I can trust him with my suffering. I can trust God with my sins. I can trust God with my failures. I, I can trust God with my hopes and dreams because he's not looking for more religion out of me. He's looking for more honest relationship. And friends, this is the message of the church. This is the gospel. This is our message to the world. They don't need to look at the church. They don't need to look in and see people doped up on more religion. It's not what they need to see. They need to look in and see a people genuinely enwrapped in divine relationship with their maker. That's what compels people. That's what compelled me as an 18-year-old who wanted nothing to do with religion. I was essentially agnostic. I didn't know if God was real, but if he was, okay. I wanted nothing to do with religion. But I remember people telling me who had real relationship with God, no, God just wants a relationship with you. And I thought, I, I can have a relationship with God? With the infinite almighty? He wants a relationship with me? You see, we get so deep into our Christianity that we forget the, the, the essence of what the gospel is really about and how profound it really is. Well, I take for granted my relationship with God now. I really do. But I remember when all this was new to me and hearing that, it was insanely compelling. It's what brought me into the faith. And that's our gospel message. Let me read one more passage to you. It's 2 Corinthians 5. It talks about this message that we have of God reconciling the world to himself, to be back into relationship with him. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. And it reads this. It says, all this is from God. Y'all turn in there? Here's some turn in there. I'll wait for you. 2 Corinthians 5. Pick it up in verse 18. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, it says, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
Let's think about this. We've got these windows, right? You can kind of see out here. There's some trees. You can't really see a town, but we know where we live. Okay, so Coney County. We are in the Bible Belt. How many of you are from Georgia? Just raise your hand. Okay, great. I don't know where else to ask. How, how many of you did not grow up in the Bible Belt? How about that? Just curious. Okay, sweet. All right. We are in the Bible Belt, okay? And especially if you get outside of, like, living up in the, the northern part of Georgia. You go down into South Georgia, you go to Alabama or wherever, right? We're in the Bible Belt. And here's my, here's my contention. I don't think that in the religious South that there are people in our community that, that need more Southern religion. I think Southern religion kills. I really do. I think it gives you false assurance that you're actually in relationship with God when in reality you're just going through religious ritual. And Jesus came to abolish that and take us into something far better. Relationship. And so too often, churches that mean well or movements that mean well, or ideas that mean well, can miss the central core of what it's all about. And so it's my contention that our community here doesn't need more religion. They need us to have a message of relationship, the true gospel. And I think we have such an opportunity here, especially with the younger generation too, who's leaving religious affiliation in droves at record pace. They kind of want nothing to do with what we grew up in. And they're saying, I want something more real or however they would categorize it, right? And so I just think we have such an opportunity to be a people who live into that real relationship with the Lord and that be our message to other people that you can have through Jesus, a heavenly father. Do you know what I'm saying this morning? One thing I've said what I need to say. Something right up there. I had one message and that was it. Caleb, why don't you come on up? When you came in, you should have received communion elements.